Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. He's Bob Kemp. I'm Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I guess I should start mentioning this, though. Uh, this Friday, Extra Point will not be airing, but the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp will have you covered with all of round one draft recap and that'll be from nine to ten on friday but plenty of things to get into today the sun's taking care of business against the clippers more nba playoff games today also the nfl draft is one day away and we will pop on out to the kdos uh, hotline to join with us howard balzer of gophnx.com to talk cardinals and the upcoming draft we'll do that around 10 15 your calls as well today the number 602-260-1060. We'll take those around 1030 and 1115. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start on the hardwood. KDOS1060.com's poll question. Were you impressed with the Suns' five-game series win over the shorthanded Clippers? And the yes vote remains out in front 63%, no trailing at 37%. Some might say that the masses are easily impressed. Um, you know, obviously, the fact that you know, you know, Paul George, we pretty much knew before the series started that he wasn't going to play in the series, and you know, Kawhi gets hurt. Apparently, during game, well, I've heard do two different things, but anyway, he suffered what now is being called a torn meniscus, uh, either game one or two of the series uh, against the Suns, and obviously did not play after that. That is correct. Uh, Shams reporting that this morning about the torn meniscus. Uh, so we'll answer that question around 1130 today. We'll flip it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Some NFL draft conversation. When should running back be addressed by the Cardinals in the draft? First round, second day, or third day are the options. Second day has busted out of its tie 55.6% of the vote now. Third day trailing at 44.4%. And first round continuing to get no love uh, uh, that's on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. There was a discussion on ESPN yesterday that uh, at least brought up the idea that they could trade down and take Bijan Robinson, uh, hence the running back question in their current running back roster. You know, James Conner is good, uh, but he's not exactly the most healthy guy in his career on and off the floor, on and off the uh, football field. Uh, you know, it's, uh, not his fault. Obviously, he had. Uh, some injuries and had cancer uh, back at the University of Pittsburgh days. And Ingram, who is, showed some signs. I liked him a lot in the preseason. Didn't get to see much of him in the regular season. They drafted him last year. Corey Clement and Tyson Williams. Those would, those would be your four running backs that are currently on the Cardinals roster. 
It's certainly an area of of need. Uh, we'll certainly answer what we think about uh, where that position should be addressed around 11:30 today. Uh, let's get into things with the Phoenix Suns. They get the series win over the Clippers following yesterday's 136 to 130 win. Uh, it was a game full of runs, not a lot of defense. You had halftime Clippers leading 70 to 61, despite the Suns shooting 55.6 from the field, 42.9% from three. When you were looking at some statistic numbers here, the Clippers had 10 offensive boards to two for the Suns. Free throw disparity, the Clippers had made 12, the Suns had made eight. And despite a better shooting percentage from three, the Clippers did make six threes, whereas the Suns only made three. Then came the third quarter. Then came Devin Booker, 25 points. The team as well scored 50. And you kind of thought to yourself, I don't know if you thought this, so I'll, just, I'll speak for myself here and you can, you can say if you thought it as well. After that barrage in the third quarter, I thought, uh, okay, the Clippers' backs are really up against the wall here. They don't have the starters. They've put up a really valiant effort. Uh, it's the last chance for them to stay alive in the series. This third quarter run has just happened. Maybe they're just going to kind of go through the motions, pack things on up, and the Suns are going to take care of business. And that's not what happened in the fourth. Yeah, I, I was you – know, I'm going to take both sides here. Sorry. <laughs> First up, I really wasn't surprised the Clippers didn't quit because, you know, they – you know, Ty Lue gets these guys to play their butts off. Uh, so that didn't surprise me at all. You know, they also – I think the Suns, you know, contributed to the fourth quarter com- uh, comeback or the demise of the Suns in the fourth quarter. Seemed like they were more concerned about running down the shot clock than they were actually running an offense. And I'm sorry, but Okogie and Shamit can't be on the floor in clutch time. I mean, give me a break. You, you know, the Clippers want those guys to be on the floor in clutch time, and those two guys were not just on the floor in clutch time. He actually, they actually had the ball in uh, several times when the clock was running down. Uh, anyone who had listened to me was hearing me say, why is Kevin Durant not getting a touch at this point in time? Why is the ball in the last second here in a Kogi's hand or in Shamit's hand? So I 100% agree with you on that front. When it comes to by the numbers, Devin Booker, 47 points, 19 of 27, 8 rebounds, 10 assists, and he now has the most 40-plus point playoff performances in Suns history with six, passing Charles Barkley. Kevin Durant added 31, 10 of 19, six boards, four assists. DeAndre Ayton, 21 points, 9 of 18, 11 rebounds for him. And Chris Paul added in 15 points, 6 of 13, 7 assists. When it came to the bench, we've been chronicling the minutes here. Josh Okoge played 33 minutes. He had 11 points. Busy, 12 minutes, 8 points. Landry Shamit, 9 minutes he finally made a bucket that wasn't a dunk he did hit a three then you had Damian Lee with seven minutes zero points campaign three minutes uh zero shot attempts zero points I think he did have two assists and his uh checking into the game didn't come until the second half of the ball game yeah and I've said this the entire series I could care less how many minutes the player starters played there's not too many there's no such thing as too many minutes in this series and now they get three days off before they play the Nuggets. And then I think they got a tremendous – well, let's put it this way. I, I assume that the Suns, when they saw the schedule for the next round, were especially happy the way that this series is, you know, stretches out, you know, even if it goes seven games. But, 
you know, they get the, the three days off before they play the Nuggets. And it's not like the Nuggets weren't stretched. I mean, they had to play an overtime game at Minnesota in game four. They had to play for an entire 48 minutes. In fact, they had to really play in the fourth quarter last night. That game was tied at the end of the third quarter. So the fact that, uh, you know, the series starts on Saturday, then they play a Monday, then they don't play game three until the following Friday. And then if there's a game seven, there's two days off before between game six and game seven. So uh, the one thing that might be a little different than this series is you do have the altitude to deal with in Denver, but you know, the Suns can at least for one more series, you know, quote, get away with uh, playing their starters major minutes uh, considering the situation. The Timberwolves did do the Suns a favor by playing hard in that uh, game four to force the game five. Ended up having to go into overtime as well and then playing hard again uh, last night. So uh, from a from a team that uh, I was very, why did you trade and give up everything in the world for Rudy Gobert? And as you pointed out in the previous hour, make some really dumb basketball decisions. Uh, at least they were able to uh, make the Nuggets work for it in five as opposed to a sweep in four. I do have a question, though, when it comes to... Let me just stop you real fast on that. They just didn't play hard. You know, They played really well um, in most, a lot of this series. And, uh, you know, if they... A couple bounces last night, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, the Suns aren't playing the Nuggets this on Saturday. The Nuggets are, you know, playing like Thursday night against the Wolves again. I got a question for you when it comes to the Suns and the Clippers here. Uh, was this just maximum effort from the Clippers, like every single game uh, up and down the floor to put this kind of pressure on the Suns without their two best players? Or was this more of the Suns allowing this to happen? I don't know. That's a really good question, which is hence the I don't know answer. <laughs> um, you know, I think you can certainly make a case for uh, you know the fact that the uh, the, the, the fact that the Suns just got nothing off of their bench except from Biombo on a consistent basis in this entire series, uh, I think at some point that could be disturbing. It might even be in the next series. Uh, but I you know, don't it, – it's difficult for me to judge the way the Suns played in this series because of, you know, their bench was pathetic. And I don't think it's going to get a whole lot better, quite frankly. Uh, no matter how far they go and who they're playing against, uh, you know the the one thing about the Nuggets is their bench is much better than it has been in the past, and uh, certainly in the playoffs. And it's deeper because they don't have the injuries they've had in the past in the postseason. But uh, I haven't quite decided whether it's going to be a play a big role in this next series. But like I mentioned, I think that they got the Suns have got to be really happy the way that this schedule is for the you know, if it goes seven games. The fact that we have these major, major lulls between games, uh, in between games two and three, and between the games you know, six and seven, if they go that far. Yeah, I've been struggling to answer my own question there uh, because at times I think you know we answered this question in I think it was Monday's poll question about how the times the Suns have played well in spurts and at other times I've just been left kind of scratching my head uh, and so I don't want to take away if the answer really is that the Clippers just took it up to a whole new level uh, you know obviously point production from Russell Westbrook he wasn't great in yesterday's game either 14 
19 points, 3 of 18, but just his energy and effort. You had some consistency from Norman Powell, and everybody else was contributing as well. So I, I don't want to, uh, I, I guess, go down a path of being very harsh on the Suns if the reality is the Clippers just really turned it up a notch. They played hard, no doubt about that. I will say that the Suns, I don't think this is going to get a whole lot better, quite frankly, as we continue, because the teams they're playing are going to be better on offense than the Clippers were without Leonard and George. But the Suns, they allowed 130 points last night to the Clippers. And their defense is not good. Uh, and it's not going to improve any, in my opinion. Uh, as I mentioned, the offensive uh, you know, the, the the offense, the teams they play on offense, the next, you know, no matter who they play from here on out are going to be better than the Clippers were in this series because of the Clippers roster situation. But, uh, you know, th- their defense is not good. They're going to have to score a ton of points. We'll step aside from Suns and NBA playoff discussion as we'll pop on out to the KDOS hotline next to join uh, with us Howard Balzer of GoPHNX.com. We'll get uh, some NFL draft conversation going and specifically with the Arizona Cardinals that number three pick is looming here quickly fast approaching will they stay with it try to trade down what do we think is going to happen as we've talked about it plenty of areas that this team could go plenty of directions this team could go so what should be prioritized we'll have a conversation with Howard Balzer next it of course is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com you can always listen to us as well with the app KDOS 1060 brought to you by Superbook Sports Howard Balzer is next SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We head on out to the KDOS hotline to get an Arizona Cardinals and NFL draft preview. Howard Balzer with GoPHNX.com. Howard, it's Bob and Kayla. Thanks for the time. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. How are you all doing? We're doing fantastic. Uh, before we dive into the upcoming NFL draft, uh, I want to get your perception and perspective of this, uh, that the Cardinals are certainly going to have plenty of things to discuss, but you've been getting um, more press conferences, more time in front of head coach Jonathan Gannon, more time in front of general manager Monty Austinfort. Some of the players have even met the media for voluntary mini camps as well. So has anything stood out to you about a change in philosophy or attitude or culture shift with this new staff, yeah, I think uh, you're, you're right in terms of uh, making you know making guys you know available. Uh, Jonathan Gannon and some players are going to be available you know later today uh, in the second day of, of the mini camp, one day of media access for the three day uh, camp. And of course, they had several weeks ago. Uh, they had all of on two different days. They had all, you know the assistant coaches uh, that had been hired available. Uh, to us all to talk to, and, and before that, each day, John, you know, Gannon uh, talked. So uh, there does seem uh, to be, uh, you know, a little, a little more, a little more openness uh, about it, and which is, I, I think, is you know, is always a good thing because obviously, 
we in the media are the conduit of what the team is thinking, what they're talking about uh, to the public. And so I think any time that occurs, it's good. We'll, we'll see how it continues with OTAs and mini camp and, and training camp, of course, and then the regular season. But uh, Gannon, I, I think Gannon has been uh, very forthcoming, you know, gives, you know, good answers, uh, not, not too sentence variety. And so I, I think that, you know, he's been – obviously they're only going to tell us what they want us to know, but I think uh, so far so good in terms of uh, the, the accessibility and, 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 and the way that, you know, they, they interact with all of us in the media. So do we have an idea what the new uh, Cardinals philosophy is moving forward? Philosophy in terms of the football team on the field? <laughs> sure, or yeah. you know, maybe you know, pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think it's it's still early. I think that's you know, that's important important to know. And like I said, we're only going to be told what they want us uh, to know. But you know, I think that you know, in terms of philosophy of the team, we'll we'll, we'll kind of see that a little bit in the draft. Are they able to pull off a trade for DeAndre Hopkins? Are they able to pull off a trade for that third uh, overall pick? And, you know, but, you know, at any, it, there's always a little bit usually of a honeymoon uh, when a new group uh, comes in, and especially when it's a new general manager and a new head coach with, with a new staff. Uh, but I also think they want to put their message out. I mean, when you look at what this team has done over the last month plus since the start of the league year, uh, they've been, you know, not, you know, you know giving out one- and two-year contracts, many of them at the minimum uh, to the players that they've either signed – uh, or re-signed. It's a coaching staff that does does not feature a lot of experience, which also likely means uh, not not a very high-priced uh, coaching staff. So you know we'll see how all those things play out. One thing that was notable to me, Bobby, was that early on, after the coordinator, two coordinators have been hired. Uh, Jonathan Gannon made a comment when he was asked about how inexperienced they were. He said, "Well." There's a plan to get major, major experience on this staff. Well, that has not happened. That has not happened. And I know that a lot of staffs around the league are, you know, can be relatively young at times. But you also see teams hiring the Dom Capers and you know people like that as senior assistants uh, to you know to help those younger guys. There's 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 none of that on this staff. So only time will tell whether this approach that will work and that this team can uh, can can get back to where. The way you know everyone hopes it would be. Howard Balzer, gophnx.com here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point. There seems to be a lot of uncertainty at the top of the draft, whether it be because nine of the top 11 teams picking have either a new general manager or a new head coach in their first or second year, whether it's all just smoke screens, a run on quarterbacks happens or not. So what sense do you get that there's viability of trading out of that third overall pick? And a second prong to this, do you think that they should try to trade out of that third overall pick I think they should try to trade out of it and I'm sure they will and the question becomes and you, you raise a great point Kayla because it's one thing to say trade down and get a bunch of picks but because there is uncertainty and I think a large part of that is without really knowing how these quarterbacks are going to fall I mean I always caution you mentioned blowing smoke and that's you know everybody's lying at this time of the year and just because Las Vegas or, or these sports books have certain odds on where a quarterback is going to go doesn't mean anything uh, because that's, that's based, those odds are based on what people are betting. And so if a Will Levis is a long shot with odds, then 
a lot of people who say, hey, that might be a good long shot bet. So a bunch of people bet on it, and then his odds change uh, because all this, you know, a certain amount of money is coming in on him. So there's that uncertainty. I think that there's you know, with you know with guys like Jalen Carter, you know Will Anderson. I mean, this is a strong. You know, even though Carter's not a pure edge rusher, obviously, but he has he has certain questions about him. Who's going to pull the trigger? There's a lot of this is a really strong draft for edge rushers. So anyway, the point I was going to get to in terms of what you brought up is it's one thing to say trade down and get a bunch of picks, but that also means that there has to be a team wherever they are sitting who wants one player so badly that they're going to give up a whole lot of picks to get them when sometimes the best move for one of those teams, hey, just stay where you are and and whatever point that is, whether it's four, whether it's five, whether it's seven, whether it's 11, whatever it is, you're still going to get a very good player without have to, having to give up extra picks. So that's the one dynamic uh, that we don't know and could, you know, could affect things in terms of the Cardinals trying to get a really good deal for trading down. The other hand, they might just figure, hey, we'll take what – I'm not going to say just take any, any deal that's a bad one, but you know, take the best deal that's there if, if they are offered, you know, knowing you're going to get extra picks, and wherever you trade to, you will get – you should get, if you're doing your job right, a very good player to come in and help your football team. Buda Baker is requested a trade. Would you think he'll be traded this week or before training camp? Or what might they get in return if they do trade him? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because he's, you know, safeties, while their, uh, you know, their salaries and their finances have improved, I don't know that a team is going to give up a whole lot for Buda Baker. With the money that he has left on his contract, he wants. I think the real issue is he wants more money and a restructuring and an extension of his contract. And so, whenever that's the case, that affects the package that you could get from a team. So, when a team knows that hey, we're going to have to change this contract, they're not going to offer as much. And so, personally, I think Buda Baker's worth more to the Cardinals on their roster than whatever they would get for him, especially in the leadership leadership area. So. I would hope that the Cardinals and Monty Austin Ford come to their senses and just come up with a, a restructuring of that deal that will make Buda, Buda Baker happy. I think that's the best for all concerned. We don't know if Buda Baker is past the point of no return on this and just totally, absolutely wants out. If that's the case, then certainly that changes the dynamic of it. But I, 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 I think, like I said, I think the best the best thing for the Cardinals to do is, you know, turn some of his salary that that he's got on his contract in these next two years, turn that into signing bonus, guarantee some money. He doesn't have any guarantees left on the two years. Extend it. He's still he's not old yet, but he's getting closer to that thirty-year-old, uh, you know, barrier. He's twenty-seven, and so you know, get get another at least good three or four years out of him. And I think that would be the best thing for the Cardinals, especially you want to send a message to your other guys that, hey, we, we take care of our best players and especially take care of our leaders. You know, they didn't do that with Zach Allen in terms of his, his ability, but I, I think that's important for this new group to do because that sends a positive message to everybody else that's on that roster. So when it comes to positional needs, we could have a conversation for almost every position. If there are no trades made, the team will have eight picks. So we could look at pass rush, offensive line, corner, running back. So what do you think the team should be valuing most? 
I, I think probably pass rush is, is the one thing. But you know, one one thing that that kind of complicates things a little bit with the, with this team is a we we don't really know what the defensive scheme is going to look like in terms of you know hybrid three four four three. Is it a straight four three? Is it a straight three four? We know that there's a bunch of guys on that roster that, and a bunch of them are young guys that have been added in the last few years, like Majai Sanders and you know Cameron Thomas and Victor KJ and all these outside linebackers that pretty much are three four guys. And so we we don't know how they will truly fit in the scheme. And so, but and, and we don't know what the what the current coaching staff thinks of those guys. And so you know they're going to start they're going to start getting a real feel for that this week you know, with the mini camp. And so that kind of complicates things a little bit and how they plan to use their current guys. But there's absolutely no doubt that they need pass rush. No question about that in whatever scheme that they're playing. So to me, that's, that's the number one need. I think after that, interior defensive line is, is very important. Now, that could be outside defensive line, too, if that's where they're looking for the pass rush uh, to come from. Uh, corners, obviously. Uh, you mentioned running back. I mean, right now, the only guy behind James Conner is Keontae Ingram, and we all know that James Conner misses games. There's just no doubt about that. That's been what's happened to him in his career. He doesn't miss a lot, but he misses games. You know, last year he missed he missed four, and there were a couple of others that he left early. So that's a big chunk of your schedule. And so you have to have viable depth behind him, and that's something they really don't have right now. DeAndre Hopkins, will he be dealt, and might the Cardinals need to pay some of his 2023 salary to trade him? They might have to, and that's you know that of course makes the cap hit even larger. So I'm sure that they don't want to pay uh, too much of that. Uh, they they would have the cap space to do that. So that comes down to making the right deal for him. And obviously the Cardinals haven't heard what they want from other teams that might have an interest, and that gets back to what we were saying about Buda Baker. When you have a guy who's going to be 31 in June that has had some injuries the last two years and also has big money in his two, two years left in his contract, like Buddha, none of that money is guaranteed. And while you know he sent some little messages that, well, money is not the issue of that, I don't know that anybody uh, buys that. And so any team trading for him takes that into account. And so I think that that's going to affect the package you get. So the question becomes, do the Cardinals just – do they just take the best deal that they can for DeAndre Hopkins? And, and then if they do that, then you look at that wide receiver group, and that becomes another position that you say, well, what do they have? Yeah, you have Marquise Brown, but guess what? He's in the final year of his contract. And if, has the Car- have the Cardinals seen enough from him? Certainly this group hasn't, uh, to say you're going to sign him for big money going into 2024. And after that, it's, it's the injury-prone Rondale Moore and Greg Dort. So that's another position uh, that, that needs help. Not to mention the offensive line with center, with left guard, and you know Kelvin Beecham at right tackle, who's getting up in years. So, again, it points out to how many needs there are on this team that probably not going to be able to fill them all in the draft, even though they'd like to, and then, uh, but, but, but do the best they can. And that's where getting as many picks as possible especially in those first three rounds, can be very beneficial. 
Howard Balzer, gophnx.com, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Has has Monty Austinford or Jonathan Gannon said anything uh, for, for you to kind of catch on to how they want to build this type of roster? Is there a certain type of foundation that they want to build? Is there a certain way they want about going to get impact guys? We, we hear the buzzwords of character guys all the time. Is there anything that you've gleaned from things that they've said of, of maybe what we could be looking toward in in this draft it, it's it's interesting you ask that because of course it was emphasized at their pre-draft press conference last week when Monty Ossifer was asked if he's surprised that he and Gannon seem to be on the same page about so many things in player evaluation especially in the draft and he said no I'm not because we both want the same thing good football players and guys with character as if that's something new right I mean it doesn't every isn't that what every team looks for in the draft and so they're, they're, they're going to go about it the way that any team would and try to get as many quality players as they can, you know, guys that have a passion for the game and guys that aren't just there to collect the paycheck and just love football. And to me, again, that goes back to Buda Baker. That, that's why you want guys like Buda Baker, because that's the epitome of guys you want on your roster. And those will be the type of guys they're looking for. doesn't mean, every, you know, every guy's not the same. But uh, that, that's what every team looks for, and certainly that's what, that's what they will be looking for. And bottom line comes down to picking the right guys, coaching, coaching them up, and then having guys that, uh, that, you know, that do, the, do the things necessary you know, to win football games. And we'll see, you know, we'll see if they're able to do that. And, and so much of it revolves around Kyler Murray and what the future will be for him when he comes back you know, from this injury when – his four seasons so far have been filled uh, with injury. And to me, that's the biggest question about him, whether he can stay healthy. So you can have a lot of the other stuff on your roster, but if you don't have that quarterback that you can count on, then sometimes it just doesn't matter. Howard, one more quick thing for me. Were you surprised that Byron Murphy was not re-signed, especially because he didn't get a real blockbuster deal for Minnesota? He didn't get a blockbuster deal, but he still is getting $8 million this year and I think the Cardinals look the Cardinals look at that and again if you look at all the deals you know that they signed they I mean guy I think the, the, the biggest the, the biggest deal was was Kaiser White and he got uh, 10 10 million over two years and so mm. they're not paying out a lot of money this year for a lot of guys and I think you know that and certainly his injury might have had a definitely had an impact on the contract he got you know in the market and it's essentially a one-year deal that the Vikings can get out of after after this season if they want to. And the same thing with Zach Allen. I mean, the Cardinals, with 21 contracts they signed for their own players and other players, have spent right around $15 million in signing bonuses. Figure that out. I mean, that's like a, an average of a little over $700,000 per player. I mean, that's that's basically nothing in this market. Zach Allen got a $15 million signing bonus. So he got basically just as much one player that the Cardinals spent for 21 guys. And so I think that was a big factor in why they didn't sign Byron Murphy Jr. also, uh, because they were just going to sign uh, as many players as they could to add numbers to the roster with as, as, as low a financial uh, impact and, and guarantees that they could. Their total guarantee money is, is around $27 million for 21 guys. And Zach Allen got $32 million guaranteed in his contract. So that has been 
their philosophy, at least for this year in the offseason. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it works out. But obviously you need a lot of really good players in this league. It's an understatement to win games. Howard, before we let you go, uh, the NFL Draft Week is here, so where can people follow along with your Cardinals coverage? Well, you mentioned it, gophnx.com. Uh, we'll be covering the draft, and I'll have a little preview uh, coming up today, uh, t- tomorrow, while covering you know, all the other things swirling around this team. There always seems uh, to be a lot of that, but uh, mostly at gophnx.com with my writing and then with the podcast uh, that, uh, that we have a whole bunch of uh, on phnx as well. Howard, thanks so much, and we'll uh, see you soon. All right. Take care, Kayla. Take care, Bobby. Once again, he is Howard Balzer, and you can follow his work over at gophnx.com. Those were some fascinating numbers that he threw out there, just about how 21 players were signed for about $15 Zach Allen, $15 signing bonus there. Um, I have to wonder, stripping it down and kind of letting the new regime take hold, put their imprint on things, that that's the the philosophy that they had in this offseason, even if it was a potentially foundational player or a good player, just kind of wanted something new coming in? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, you know, it's something we talked about some and uh, we'll continue to talk about more. And I don't think what happens this week is really going to change that, especially if you know, Baker and Hopkins are not here any longer. 602-260-1060. That's the number to join the program. We'll take your calls now and get to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. It's the Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Have you downloaded the KDOS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. Thanks to Howard Bolzer, gophnx.com, for his time in the previous segment chatting all things Arizona Cardinals in the upcoming NFL draft. Pick number three on the horizon for the team. Will they, can they trade down? If you missed any of that conversation, you can podcast over at kdos1060.com with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports or Apple and Spotify. It's the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. But for Extra Point, not on this Friday. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp, though, recapping round number one of the NFL draft with you Friday starting at 9. A.M. Across the NBA, let's get back into that just a little bit here. The Nuggets did beat the Timberwolves 112 to 109. The Timberwolves put up a fight. Anthony Edwards, 29 points. Carl Anthony Towns, 26 points. This was just mind-boggling to me. Jokic, I mean, if you just look at the stat line, 28 points, 17 rebounds, 12 assists, you say, okay, he played great. And then you look a little bit further and you say, whoa, he was 8 of 29 from the floor. I mean, that's not productive by anyone's standards, let alone Jokic's standards. Jamal Murray, he added in 30 Five points, 12 of 23, and this will be the Suns' next opponent in the Nuggets. But um, certainly how I thought the Nuggets were able to cruise past the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves showed a little something here in the last couple of games. They actually outplayed them. I mean, they played better. Um, you know, there's 77-77 at the end of three quarters last night. You mentioned Jokic. Those are, you know, that the triple-double thing looks great. Uh, that's his eighth career triple double in the postseason, but the the eight for twenty nine from the field, 
And they showed during the fourth quarter last night, you know, some of Jokic's worst games of his career have been against Rudy Gobert, who obviously is a really good defender, etc. And uh, so maybe there's not a coincidence there. But, yeah, I don't think that the more I watch this series, uh, the less I thought of the Nuggets as it continued. The Suns will play the Nuggets Saturday game one. It'll be either 7 p.m. or 5.30 p.m., depending upon if the Hawks are able to force a game seven. And the reason why we're even having this conversation is because the Celtics weren't able to close it out yesterday. The Hawks going into Boston and winning 119 to 117. Derek White, he made two free throws to put the Celtics up 117 to 116. And then Trey Young comes in, hits a 30-foot three with 2.1 seconds to go go which ultimately then wins the game when you look at the numbers Jalen Brown 35 points 15 of 23 he was balling out but Jason Tatum struggled 19 points 8 of 21 and just one of 10 from three I think most importantly he shot two free throws I mean he was just settling for jump shots uh Tatum was and uh not a good performance there uh also you mentioned Trey Young it was the Trey Young show Murray was suspended didn't play uh, so it had to be the Trey Young show, and he had 38 points and 13 assists. He actually scored the last 14 points of the game for the Hawks last night, and uh, he he was you know, really good. I mean, that's if you don't have other guys around you, especially Murray, who can do a lot of the same things that Trey Young does, and I think, in, at least in my opinion, better than Trey Young, uh, it's got to be Trey Young. And uh, the fact that the Celtics have uh, they really had a chance to you know, finish this off and they've lost two of the last three games of the series. I'm sure they're not too thrilled about going back to Atlanta, but uh, you know they've put themselves in uh, harm's way here. And uh, you know the Sixers, and we don't know what's up with Embiid, which is you know, I thought that's not the first time I've ever said that over the years. Uh, but uh, you know the, the Sixers, I'm sure, are just saying, hey, you guys play like seven games and play quadruple overtime, and we'll we're good with that. Um, yeah, you mentioned DeJounte Murray there serving the one-game suspension for whatever weird thing he decided to do to the official walking off the court. Stupid thing. Yeah. Definitely stupid thing. That was just yes. not smart whatsoever. Um, nope. And... and I think the last two games for the Celtics were a little bit unimpressive to me. Uh, so maybe there was some frustration billowing over there for Murray, but just totally inexcusable to put your team in that type of position here. Uh, and I know it seems like maybe even Atlanta didn't think that this series was going to be going back because I guess they double booked and there was a Janet Jackson concert uh, scheduled for Friday. So uh, Janet Jackson is going, or I think Thursday, whenever they're playing. So she has to move to the next day to make room for the Hawks and the Celtics in game six. Yeah, well, these stadiums, these arenas and stadiums that schedule concerts like during the season of the team that plays in the arena or stadium, I don't quite figure that out. I mean, I can kind of understand it if it's hockey. You know, that's obviously that affected the Clippers and the Suns series. The fact that you had three professional teams playing in the same building in the postseason, I could get that. But, you know, you know, these concert things that are scheduled, you know, well in advance, I mean, you, you've got to at least, you know, present yourself the opportunity. Hey, we may have our basketball team playing that particular night. 
Uh, we'll get into some PGA Tour Mexico Open on the other side of the break. But before we head to break, the Yankees are playing the Twins right now in the top of the third. It's five to one, but something to monitor. Aaron Judge was caught stealing and then immediately left the game, went to the dugout and was followed by the trainers for the Yankees. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure that this is a you know, an injury thing. I mean, so the train the fact that the trainer was there, but he got it was you know he had no chance to steal third. It was a really foolish attempt. Uh, he was stealing third. He's already in scoring position, and Anthony Rizzo was at the plate, and he got thrown out the end the inning. He's sliding head first into third base. You know that's one of my pet peeves. That's my near the top of my pet peeves list in any sport. Uh, all the players that have been injured sliding headfirst into bases. It, you know, they go from here to Minneapolis. This is where this game is being played right now. I don't get it. Now, we're not 100% sure if he's left the game because he's the DH today. And, uh, you know, he didn't have to run out and play a position after this inning ended, which ended with Rizzo making the final out of the inning. Uh, so we're not, not 100% sure if he's, quote, injured at this point because uh, – yeah, he's the DH for today, and we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens when the DH comes around. Uh, probably not necessarily in the next inning, but in a couple innings. Our friends over at Putting World, located 16259 North Scottsdale Road. They're open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, 10 a.m. to midnight. Test your putting skills. Get some uh opportunities to work with the lab and some instruction and improve your putting so the next time you go out with your friends you're making those putts and winning those bets uh great food and drinks over at bar 19 you can certainly uh get all of the help as i mentioned there with the performance studios technology and coaches visit them at puttingworld.com as they're located in scottsdale we'll get into the pga tour at the mexico open john rom the defending champion and and once again, kudos to him for showing up for this event just based upon all of his accomplishments so far this season, the busy schedule that he has, making time to come to this event as it's not the strongest field in the world. We'll dive into that next here on The Extra Point. Check out the Doug Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports on this Wednesday, April 26th. Let's try to figure out what to do for the Mexico Open at Vedante. It's a par 71, 7,456 yards. That's a big boy golf course uh, in addition to uh, it being played on Paspalum grass. You wonder to yourself, what on earth is Paspalum grass? Yes, I, I <laughs> wondered the I'm same. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be this grass that I, I guess uh, really handles all the salt water really well because because you're off of the ocean and the coast and whatever, but okay. it makes it somewhat challenging to putt on. So it's kind of a wild card for a surface. So I don't know if we can uh, really glean a lot from some of those putting numbers. Maybe if you want to take a look at who putts really well on past Palum and say, okay, well, they've 
they've been able to figure things out. Uh, I think one of the areas that we definitely need to look into, though, is driving distance and approach shots from 175 plus yards, just because it's it's such a lengthy golf course and to be able to take advantage of it as well as it being a par 71. So some of those par fours are going to be playing pretty challenging. So strokes gained on approach and strokes gained total. Uh, as I mentioned, going to break John Rahm, he's the defending champion. He's by far and away the best player in this field and the odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook app certainly reflect it. Holy smokes, plus 260 for John Ron to win this golf tournament. Um, Tony Finau, he's the next best golfer in this field at plus 850. And then there is a major drop off there. You have Wyndham Clark at 19 to 1, Gary Woodland at 24 to 1, Nikolai Hogard at 24 to 1. Nikolai Hogard is a name that I've mentioned a couple of different times. I really like his game. He finished second at uh, Punta Cana Corrales, tied for 28th at Valero. But it's hard for me to swallow 24 to 1 on a rookie who has never won. That's that's a rough thing to, to kind of think about here. So where are we going to go? Top 20 plus 145 for Patrick Rogers. He's been playing well the last two tournaments, tied for 19th, fifth in his last two tournaments, and he finished 10th at the Mexico Open last year. Uh, top 40 for Nate Lashley at plus 115. Once again, numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. He finished tied for 11th last year at the Mexico Open. Uh, one thing I should mention here about this event, this is the second year that it has been contested at Vedante. So if you're looking into course history, only go back one year, not multiple years. My long shot as well in the top 40 is Augusta Nunez at plus 175. And then we're going with a flyer here at Alex Smalley, 65 to 1. He finished tied for sixth here last year, and he really did have a chance to win. Kind of Kind of fell apart there at the end, and John Rahm uh, slid in there to get the victory. But uh, he plays well at these types of golf courses, so we'll see how it goes. It's been a bit of a struggle here for him this season, so we'll see if he recaptures some good vibes from his time here at the Mexico Open last year. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up on the other side of the break. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Wednesday, April 26th. 